Well, hey there. My name is Pastor Tim, and you have found my podcast. I currently serve as the pastor of First United Methodist Church of Fort Pierce, Florida, and I'm so grateful to be able to connect with you in this way. This podcast is a collection of my sermons and teachings that I hope you will use to deepen and strengthen your connection with Jesus Christ so that you might go and transform the world around you. So kick back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode. Is anyone here the oldest sibling in your family? Firstborn? Yeah? How about the, the youngest? Any little? Yeah. How about uh, middle children? Yeah? Only children? All right, all right. We got some for everybody here. I am somehow the middle child and the only child. All right? <laughs> uh, my, my siblings and I, I, I have two siblings, an older sister and an older brother and a younger sister, and um, we all have the same mom, but we all have different dads. And so, so at mom's house, I was the middle child, and, but when I went to my dad's house, I was the only, the only one. And listen, I know that this surely isn't true for any of you sitting out there, but what I learned in uh, taking a few family dynamics and counseling courses is that the most complicated people in any family system are middle children and only children. <laughs> and so I've just been living in that for like a decade, uh, trying to sort that out and, uh, you know, put the pieces together in my own mind as to what that really means for me and how it's played out. But regardless of where you are at in the sibling pecking order, being a family is hard, right? Having siblings is hard. Not having siblings is hard. Families are wonderful. And honestly, like way, way, way up there on the list of gifts that God has given to human beings. But also... Families are complicated, and our relationships with our families can range anywhere from mildly annoyed to downright dysfunctional and harmful. Our families know how to get under our skin, right? They know how to push our buttons. You know why they know how to push our buttons? They installed every single one of them. But one of the most universal human attitudes towards family is that family is a high priority. The family, family is something that is meant to capture our loyalty. And that family is supposed to be the safest place for any one of us. And for some people, this is super true. I'm blessed to have an incredibly safe family. But it's not always true for everyone. And when family lets you down, it hurts. It hurts more than when anyone else in the world lets you down. But when family does worse than just let you down or disappoint you, 
When your family betrays you, it's the worst kind of betrayal. It violates the very foundation of what family is supposed to be. And it can cause us irreparable harm. So this is the second week in our sermon series, In the Wilderness, where we're looking at forms of betrayal that Moses faced in the book of Numbers. And we're, we're seeing how God's faithfulness can help heal the wounds caused by human failure and lead to reconciliation. You see, in Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 through 26, God tells Moses to tell his brother Aaron, who is the high priest of Israel, to proclaim this blessing over the people. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. This blessing clues us into God's ultimate goal for human beings. The achievement of peace. The Hebrew idea of shalom, which is a state of active love and reconciliation. And it's ironic almost that God would give a blessing of this type to human beings. These human beings in particular, considering what is going to occur over the course of the book of Numbers, and let's be honest, what's going to occur over the course of human history, right? But let's just back up a smidge because to, in order to understand what is happening in the story that we're going to read today, we have to understand some parts of Moses' life story. So when Moses was born, the Israelites were slaves in the land of Egypt. And when Moses was born, the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, had issued a decree that any baby boy who was born to the Hebrew people was to be put to death. And so Moses' mother did her very best to hide Moses as long as she could. But at a certain age, you just can't hide a screaming baby anymore. I've learned. And so Moses' mother did something desperate in order to try to save his life. So she put him in a basket and sent him down the Nile River, hoping that someone would find him and care for him. And Moses' oldest sibling, his sister Miriam, followed him down the river and saw that the princess of Egypt had found Moses. And then she went and she brokered a deal between the princess and their mother for Moses' own mom to nurse him until he was old enough to be adopted by the princess. Remember, there wasn't like any Enfamil or Similac on the shelves back then. Nursing was all they had. And we find out later in the story, after Moses has grown up and he has killed an Egyptian who was beating up on one of the Hebrew slaves and gone into hiding, that Moses had an older brother, a man named Aaron, who was three years older than him. And so the dynamics of Moses' family are that Miriam is the eldest child, Aaron is the middle child, and Moses is the baby. He's the youngest of the family. 
Now, psychologists have studied sibling dynamics for a long time and have come up with these generally applicable traits for siblings. The eldest child is usually characterized by being a go-getter, responsible, a role model, a determined person, a rule follower, a hard worker, someone who's cautious, timely, and bossy. Yeah. The middle child is usually adaptable, a social butterfly, a dreamer, generous, creative, rebellious, competitive, funny, and a great negotiator. And the youngest child is a risk taker. They're outgoing, they're dependent, they're persistent, they're fun-loving, charming, easygoing, free-spirited, and spoiled. And I know that you're all taking an inventory of your family right now, right? Now, it's important to not totally read the text of the Bible from, you know, our 21st scientific psychological understanding of the human being. But I do think that modern psychology does help us to understand the dynamics of Moses' family, which is, by the time we get to the book of Numbers, the family that leads Israel as if they were royalty. Moses is the obvious divinely appointed leader, almost a king, but never given the title of king of Israel. Aaron is the high priest. He's in charge of all of the religious workings of the society. And Miriam, well, Miriam is a prophetess, the one who leads the people in worship through song. She's like the cultural liaison, right? And so these people are now leading the Israelites on their quest to reach the promised land. And God is leading them in a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night as they walk and camp their way through the wilderness. And it's going about as well as your first family camping trip ever went, right? Not good. <laughs> the kids are complaining. They're mad because all they have to eat is this divine bread that God drops out of the sky for them every single morning. They're like, oh, this God bread is just so much worse than all the food that we had while we were slaves in Egypt. Can we just go back? It was so much better then. We just want some meat to eat. And so Moses goes to God and says, listen, the people, they're, they're, they're not into the bread anymore. Right? They, want, they want some meat. And so God sends them meat in the form of quails every morning to go along with their holy bread. And apparently, this action, God's listening and obliging the wishes of Moses, causes some breakdown in the Moses family dynamics, which is where we're going to pick up our story in Numbers chapter 12. And so it says, while they were at Hazoreth, Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had indeed married a Cushite woman. All right, we'll just stop right there. This is classic, right? They don't like their sister-in-law. 
And so they're talking trash on their brother because of who he chose to marry. Sound familiar, anyone? Right? And why don't they like her? Well, it doesn't really say, but we can kind of figure out that it's because she's not an Israelite. But we don't really know. And here's the thing. This is not what they're really mad about. Moses' wife isn't really what they're upset about. It's just low-hanging fruit for them to pick on. And so it goes on and tells us what they're actually upset about. It says, and they said, has the Lord spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. So here's what the problem really is. They're jealous of the way that God relates to Moses. The way that Moses gets special treatment. Youngest child stuff, right? Always spoiled. Always a different relationship to mom, dad. In this case, God, right? But it's Important to also realize that this is all happening within an ancient culture that had certain expectations of family roles. And one of those expectations is that the oldest son should be the one who sits in the seat of responsibility, the one who has a special relationship to the father, the one who has authority. And that would be Aaron not Moses. And so there's the makings of a real rebellion going on here. We don't know if Miriam and Aaron are speaking publicly against Moses or just amongst themselves or maybe even just to a small faction, a small group that they have assembled in order to organize some kind of coup. All we know is that they are trying to subvert the authority that God has given to Moses. And so the story goes on. Now, the man Moses was very humble, more so than anyone else on the face of the earth. And suddenly the Lord said to Moses, Arian, and Miriam, come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. And so the three of them came out, and then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent and called Aaron and Miriam. And they both came forward. And he said, hear my words. When there are prophets among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to them in visions. I speak to them in dreams. Not so with my servant Moses. He is entrusted with all my house. With him, I speak face to face, clearly, not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. So God lays it all out for these fools, right? He's like, come to the principal's office now. Check it out. You don't make the rules, kids. You don't decide who does what. I do, and I appointed Moses. And then it says that God's anger was kindled against them, which is 
and there's no coincidence here, the exact opposite of the blessing that Aaron gives to the people for the Lord's face to shine upon them and be gracious to them. What we are given is a glimpse of what this looks like for Miriam and Aaron. It says, when the cloud went away from the tent, Miriam had become leprous, as white as snow. And Aaron turned towards Miriam and saw that she was leprous. And then Aaron said to Moses, Oh, my Lord, do not punish us for a sin that we have so foolishly committed. Do not let her be like one of the stillborn whose flesh is half consumed when it comes out of its mother's womb. I got a couple of questions here. One of them, first of all, like, why is only Miriam affected? Who knows? Like, why not Aaron too? Perhaps so that Aaron can fully live out his role as priest and as middle child. Because both are tasked with being the peacemakers, the go-between people. You know, Miriam is stricken with a disease which is really on par with how God is depicted in the book of Numbers. And it's a tough thing for us to reckon with at times. Because God is depicted as the one who causes calamity to come upon disobedient people. And I think that although this might offend our modern understanding of God, because I certainly don't believe that God causes bad things to happen to you. I believe that you cause bad things to happen to you and that the people around you cause bad things to happen to you. What I do believe is that in light of that, that the author of the book of Numbers is trying to use this language to make a point to us. And that point is this. God is the one who ultimately deals with human treachery. This is why Jesus, in the form of God, can tell us to love our enemies and to turn the other cheek when someone harms us. Because we trust that God will ultimately be the one who deals with human iniquity. And this is clearly something that Moses understands. Because this is the next line. It says, and Moses cried to the Lord, oh God, please heal her. And she's healed. And after serving a few days in time out outside of the camp, she returns to her place at the side of her siblings to rule over the Israelites. And I think that Moses' words carry deep weight for us today. Certainly Moses wants his sister to be physically healed. Even if her condition was not life-threatening, it would still cause her to be separated from her community as long as it persisted. As long as she was leprous, the law demanded that she would be separated from the general population. 
But I believe that there's more here than simply asking God to fix Miriam's skin. I think that Moses is asking God to heal Miriam's heart. To heal her and also heal Aaron of whatever it is that is happening inside of them that has caused them to betray Moses. Because listen, family betrayal is the worst. Family is the source of our life. Family is who shapes our identity in some way or another. Family are the people who are supposed to love us when no one else in this world seems willing to do so. Family is meant to be the safest place in the world. And so when our families betray us, it can take a long time for those wounds to heal. And sometimes they live inside of us for a lifetime. And we become adults who are broken still because the people that God charged with our physical, spiritual, and emotional health and upbringing have not lived up to the task. Or sometimes even worse, our kids, the ones that we have poured into and loved unconditionally, do some downright rotten stuff to us. Or our siblings in adulthood cause nasty problems in our lives. In our lives. We fight and hurt one another over money and property and whatever else. Thanksgiving becomes a battleground rather than a place of love and safety. And so what is the answer? What is the solution? Well, it begins with remembering God's promises and God's faithfulness. That God seeks to bring peace and shalom to our relationships. But it also means that we need to remember that sometimes God has got to be the primary actor. And so we have to start with the same prayer as Moses. Oh God, please heal them. The reality is that sometimes the broken part of our loved ones, the, the thing that has caused them to hurt us, it needs to be addressed before there is any hope for reconciliation. Alcoholics got to quit drinking. Addicts got to stop using. Gamblers, they got to stop gambling. Hardened hearts need to be softened. Hurt people need to heal before they can stop hurting you. You want to know the worst part? You can't fix them. Did you hear me? You cannot fix them. Only God can fix them. But they need to cooperate. And so you're starting from a place of simply saying, God, God, please heal them. It opens up the door 
Pray that their lives are touched and dramatically changed by the power of God in some way or another. And this is the hardest one because the nature of family dynamics is difficult. But if you can learn to pray for and forgive your family members when they have betrayed you and failed you, then you can learn how to forgive anyone. And I say that you need to learn how to forgive because that is where your healing begins. It begins in your own heart. When you pray for those who have harmed you, a command that Jesus gave for us to live into and live out every day, then you begin the process of healing your own heart. God changes you. And you will often find that you needed healing and changing just as much as the person who hurt you. And God, well, God is in the business of changing hearts so that we can find peace, so that we can find shalom. That is the blessing. That is the promise. And God is faithful to live that out in our lives if we will simply ask and allow him to. And that is the good news. That's the good news for us today. Let's pray. God of peace and God of love. God, we invite you to come and to heal those who have harmed us. We invite you to do a mighty act, a life-changing act, a relationship-repairing act in the hearts of us gathered here and in the hearts of those whom we still need to reconcile with. And so, God, we submit all of our human striving towards peace over to you. We allow you to lead the way for us. Go before us, God. Envelop those who have harmed us. Envelop us in your peace. God, help us to live restored lives with restored relationships. Help us to be people who live in shalom. 